This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to welcome you to episode 475. Before we get too far into this episode, I do want to ask you to fill out my listener survey. Every couple of years, I survey people and see what they have to say about the direction of the podcast, what you're learning. And as people come and approach me for different sponsorship opportunities, I want to make sure that what I'm having as sponsors on the podcast is relevant to you. So if you would go to jethrojones.com slash survey, then I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, It'll also be in the show notes, the first link at the top of the show notes for the next month or so. It would mean the world to me, jethrojones.com slash survey. Thank you so much. I get to be interviewed by Tracy Izzard from Australia. So she is the author of the book, Ferocious Warmth, and she was on the podcast a few months ago. Definitely search her on uh, transformativeprinciple.org and you can find my interview with her about her book, Ferocious Warmth. And now she's going to interview me about how to be a transformative principal. Before we get into that, I want to talk about the other part of this podcast, which is that I'm interviewing. Well, did you see that thing on social media about a kindergarten pep talk? Well, it's amazing. And what you do is you dial a number. And when you dial the number, you get to hear a kindergarten pep talk. And it is really cool. Here is Rima Meekin, the superintendent slash principal of that very small school district and she describes how this idea came to be. She came to me with the idea, and actually it's Jessica Martin and uh, uh, Shira Weiss. Uh, Shira and Jessica were working together on a project with the students, and they started with wanting to just have encouraging words and from the students that they were going to post around our little town of Healdsburg. And then Jessica came to me and said, Rima, we've got this idea to expand it and do this hotline And I was like, oh, my God, that sounds incredible. Go for it. And she ran with it and it took off. To begin with, Jessica saw this as an art project, a way to have a piece of art that was different from what her kids usually saw. I'm really committed to the idea of really changing the role of 
art and the definition of art for our society. And so I bring that to the kids. A lot of times the kids are looking at me and going, Miss Jessica, is this art? And that's my greatest victory, really, just to really blow it up and, and expand it. My feeling is that to be creative is to be human. And I really think that Art should not be its own separate subject. It should be a tool for life. It should be a tool for learning. And that's something that we should bring to, to kids and to the education system. I, I really feel that the creative practice is going to save us in the end. But our innovation, our inherent human um, desire to to redefine who we are and, and look at things with new perspectives, it's really important for us to celebrate that on all levels. And, and and creating problem solvers, because to me, creativity leads to that, mm-hmm. thinking outside the box. Exactly. Yeah. And I, artists are problem solvers. If you if just working as an artist, whether you're doing painting or performance art, mm-hmm. you have to be able to improvise. And inherently making art or creating anything, you really have to make peace with the idea that it's not going to turn out the way you mm-hmm wanted it to and that's a parallel for life if you if you have not done this yet i suggest you call 707-998-8410 to hear this kindergarten pep talk now this little art project became so popular that they had up to sixty thousand calls per hour at the peak time of this and what is so beautiful is that when i talked to rima and jessica about this They talked about how the collaboration and the trust that Rima had in her teacher enabled her to feel comfortable and confident doing this kind of a thing. I signed up for the cheapest option through the hotline provider that we originally worked with. I thought we were going to maybe get 100 calls a month from grandmas and Mm -hmm. uh, the the families and and our, our little community here. I had no idea it would do this. We quickly went from 500 calls an hour to after going viral on social media, we were getting 60,000 calls an hour at the peak mm-hmm. in one day. Uh, one day cost more than $9,000. I saw I saw that it was about to spike. I said mm-hmm. we could get a million calls in a day. And I was scrambling around and we all... I went to school. We all had a quick conversation about who had the biggest credit card limit. (laughs) 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 And I I had a pretty good one. I called my credit card and I had them put even more on there um, in anticipation. This has been an incredibly uh, expensive endeavor, but I've been absolutely determined to keep it up. People are literally depending on us Mm -hmm. now for the little boosts they need in the day to keep doing what they need to do to to make this world a better place. We're going to transition here to Tracy interviewing me about the book, but I left off at that point because... A lot of people are depending on all of us to do amazing things in our schools every single day. And we need to remember that the pressure is there, but we are capable of living up to it. So here's Tracy talking to me, and I'm going to bring Jessica and Rima back into the conversation throughout to illustrate some of the points from the book. I hope you enjoy this new way of doing the interview and the podcast. Let me know your feedback. Tracy, welcome. Thanks for flipping the script on me. Yeah, I'm really excited about asking you all about this book, Jethro. And first off, congratulations 
Uh, I know you've written a book before, but uh, this really feels like a very cumulative book around all your learning. And uh, thanks for allowing me to pepper you with a few questions and have a good discussion with you. Uh, you and I really are on so much of the same wavelength around what makes brilliant school leaders. And, um, and I think your book's a stunning example of honing in the things that matter. I'd really like to ask you um, around why being a transformative principal is so important. At the start of the book in the introduction, you give some really stark and, you know, quite distressing statistics around where our students are at, where our children are at, where our youth um, are at at the moment when the world is so complex. And we know that when you wrote this, it was a little while ago, just and in this last year since you've been in the middle of writing it, it's probably got even worse. Uh, so we know that leadership is a huge challenge to get us out of this place that we're in. So I'm really interested in your why. Why transformative principles? Yeah, you know, I, I really equate it to the idea of we we have to help people learn and grow. And that is our role as principals. That is what we do is we help people learn and grow. And typically we think of that as teaching kids reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? But there's so much more to it. And a, a lot of school principals have lamented the idea that the school is being tasked with so much more to do and to be the arbiters of truth and teaching correct principles and all this kind of stuff. And I think that we should embrace that and say, yes, we have the skills and the ability to teach anything because we are an educational institution. And that goes from behavior to money management to everything in between. And if you think about a caterpillar, which I chose the cover of the book of a caterpillar and a butterfly intentionally, because a lot of people get afraid of change and afraid of transformation because it's uncomfortable and it's painful and it doesn't always feel good. And what I want us to recognize is that the transformation is not just something that's good to do, but it's something that is essential. We are not trying to be caterpillars for the rest of our lives. We are trying to become butterflies. And to do that, we have to go through a transformation. And if we want to get people out of po generational poverty, out of bad situations, out of domestic violence situations, that they're not perpetuating that stuff generationally, we have to transform them and help them see that there is a better way and that they don't have to live in that manner. And nobody, no parent out there wants their kid to be as bad or worse than them. When, when I was a kid, my dad would say, I just want you kids to be so much better than me. And I always thought, man, this guy's like 45, 50 years old. How does he not have it figured out yet? And in my arrogant youth, that is how I thought about it. And now I realize I want my kids to be way better than me and more, better financially, spiritually, physically more healthy, mentally more strong, all of that. And that's a good thing. We all want that. Every parent wants that for their kid. There's no parent out there who wants their kid to be worse off than they are. Yeah. And and I imagine that uh, a transformative principle is one that actually models that learning themselves. So you can see that they're learners. You know, I love the term lead learner, and I know you mentioned it in your book as well. You know, that 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 willingness to be vulnerable around the fact that you don't know it all. And I, I love some of the stories that you shared about in your experience. And it's one of the things I love about the book is 
the, the beautiful way you've honoured so many of your guests in the 300 hours of podcasts that you've yeah. done around how you've learned from them. You know, it, the, the book is just chock full of great nuggets of wisdom from your podcast uh, um, guests, which is absolutely brilliant, but also you're learning through the years. And um, so just showing that you're going, we can't know it all. I thought I used to know it all when I first became a principal and I, I just continually found every day that I didn't. So what is it about being able to step into a space of learning ourselves around that so we do create that joy of learning for our students? Yeah, the thing that's so amazing about it is that as I've learned more also, I've learned that the things I really need to know is a smaller and smaller amount. So I used to think that I need to know everything about every aspect of education. And now I've learned, and and this book illustrates it in the, the nine facets that we talk about, that you really don't need to be an expert in very many things. You've got to take care of yourself. And, you know, we can go through all nine of those things, which I'll, I'll, I talk about regularly, so I won't go into that right now. But that idea of the things you need to be good at gets smaller and smaller as you start to understand more what really matters. And so I don't have to know all the intricacies of an international baccalaureate program to be a good principal. In fact, that part doesn't even matter at all. Because it's not about the curricular strategy or the curriculum that we're using. It's really about how we're helping people grow and develop. And that's where we need to continually grow and develop ourselves. And your book, Ferocious Warmth, is a great example of this, that you need to constantly be working on yourself and aware of yourself and what you're doing in order to have the biggest impact possible on the people around you. Yeah, yeah, it's that expansive stuff, isn't it? I, I call it the expansive element of just never assuming that your model of the world is right yeah. and that you need to know everything. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And I, I like that concept of it gets smaller and smaller. And I think it gets smaller and smaller when we open ourselves up to the collective wisdom of the people that we lead mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, trusting them that they've got the deep knowledge uh, that and and how about we ask questions of them to sort of bring that out? And I I did I saw in in their you know one of your facets around communication that that willingness to partner with people rather than tell. And yet we know we come from decades and decades of school leadership often being about tell. So talk to talk to me about your thinking around you know that that shift that often happens in leaders of it's it's a shift of belief really isn't it that says. I, I, when I open myself up to being curious about what other people think, we actually make better decisions as a school. Yeah, absolutely. And a, a, a principal who illustrated this perfectly is AJ Bianco, who I just happened to be talking to earlier today. And he mm-hmm. said, we were talking about instructional leadership and how I make the argument in this book that instructional leadership really isn't about instruction. It's more about all the other things that we do. And when you step back from being the, the one in charge, the one who has all the answers, and you start thinking, I have a lot more questions, and I want to know what people think about different things. You bring them mm-hmm. into your vision and help them find mm-hmm. a place in it as well. But then the other key aspect there is that when you are in the classroom teaching, you are the best expert on what you're doing, whereas somebody who's not in their teaching, like the principal, is not the best expert at what's going on in there. And so 
I talk about this especially when I talk about observations, which is we've so much done observations as a means to an end, which is the evaluation. And some data out of Colorado recently said that 97% of teachers are proficient on their evaluations, which means that almost everybody is doing a great job. And that's all well and good. And I actually believe that that's the truth, that the vast majority of our teachers are really great and doing awesome work. And so Mm -hmm. to try to use the evaluation as something that is actually meaningful really isn't because most teachers are doing great. So we should really be using that as a way to say, is my vision for this school being implemented? And if we take that approach, then you come at that observation differently. And when you go into the teacher's classroom, you're not looking for elements of good teaching. You're looking for elements of whether or not they're doing what we all think and agree we should be doing because you've already established a vision and talked about it. And that really changes because then you can go in and ask questions and say, what is it that you're doing that is leading to this bigger vision that we have? Why are you making this instructional choice? Not as a, I'm trying to catch you, but that's really fascinating. If I start with the belief that I believe you're already a great teacher and I believe that you're doing the best you know how to do, then I ask you pointed questions like, why are you making this instructional decision? One, I can learn from you. And two, it gives you an opportunity as the teacher to say, here's my thinking process and why I'm doing that and explain what you're doing. And 99 times out of 100, a teacher who goes through that process and answers a question about why they're doing something that is a curiosity question, not a trying to catch you question, they realize how they can improve without you ever having to say anything at all about it. And that really becomes the beauty. And I love that idea so much that people can find what they need to do to improve themselves without having to rely on you saying, here's where you need to improve because most everybody knows what they're doing wrong already. Yeah. Love it. I love it. And it's, and it's that helping to tap into that self-determination, isn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. that, that actually says I'm, I'm a professional and one of my roles is to evolve my practice. And I, the, the ask not tell, is incredibly powerful. The other thing I really love in what you just said is, and it's something that I find in the schools that I work with, is sometimes people feel so overwhelmed with what they've got to do, what they're changing, what the what the school is transforming to. And I have a really deep belief, as you do, that you know our job is to continually be looking at transformation around teaching and learning and well-being. Um, not revolution necessarily. In some places, yes, it needs to be revolution, but tweaking all the time. And but what I think teachers often get overwhelmed with is they can't see where it fits in with the big picture. Right. So this approach that you've shared and you've you've expanded in your book is just brilliant around us as leaders. One of our jobs is to help people find their place in the big vision. And uh, so I love that you're taking this into the observation mode because I would say that there are many of us as school leaders that don't necessarily see that that's part of that role of observation. So I just think I love the approach that you've taken yeah. with, with that. And and so on that vision piece, if you, if you actually have a clear vision for your school and you're not just another school, which is one of the things that I always ask principals, are you just another school? Do you have an actual vision? And most principals are happy just being another school. But you really need a vision because once you have that vision, then people can find where they fit or don't fit 
And especially now with teacher shortages going on across at least the United States and probably in Australia too, there are real challenges to hiring and keeping great people. And so if you have a clear vision, you will attract people who like the sound of that idea. And one of the principals I interviewed is Joe Erpelding, who was at Design 39 Campus in Poway, California. And they have such a clear vision. They don't even have an actual vision. They have what they call guiding principles. And they attract people who want to be doing the stuff that they're doing at that school. And it makes it a lot easier for them to attract and retain people. But then when somebody's there and they don't fit, they stick out like a sore thumb and you can tell and they're not happy. And one of the best conversations I ever had was with a teacher who did not fit in my school. And I loved Mm -hmm. the opportunity to be able to say, this isn't working out for you, is it? You, you are a great teacher, but not here. You don't get what we're trying Mm -hmm. to do. You don't want to get what we're trying to do. And I have no hard feelings. Let me write you a wonderful letter of recommendation and help you find a place that's going to be great for you. And the pressure that came off of her shoulders was visible. She was slouched over uncomfortable. And then she sat up and was like, I am a great teacher, but I hate my job. I shouldn't hate my job. I'm a teacher. I love kids. And we were Mm -hmm. able to find her a great placement at another school where she could be very successful. And that was the kindest, most compassionate thing that I could do is let her know it was okay that she was uncomfortable. It was okay that she didn't fit in because it wasn't designed for her. And that's okay. And that being able to say that is so freeing and so powerful. And I I know she appreciated it. And I know she still appreciates it because she's so much happier where she is now. Yeah, that's fantastic. That that that's stepping into empathy. And I do want to talk to you about empathy in just a moment. The things you were saying there around what's unique around your school is, is it's like, you know, if we were in corporate, we'd be talking about brand, you know, we'd be talking about what sits underneath. Now, we know that schools are such value-driven organisations, or they certainly should be, uh, and and the conversation you can have with your team is is fascinating around this, and your community and your students around what is what does make it unique in this school. And I think it's really interesting that you said that you you find some principals go, well, we're just a, an, another school. Because when you go in and delve into the conversations in the school, I don't think teachers think like that at all, do they? Right. they? They really do see their school as a special school. It's our school. We've got a history. We've got a fabric. We've got all this amazing culture that's ours and things we do. Um, so that you know, we come back to that conversation, that communication you talked about before, around when we have those conversations, amazing things come out. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. 
Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. So before we move to empathy, can you just give us a little bit of insight of your thoughts around having those deeper conversations with the whole of your community uh, around who you are as a school? And this is where I'm going to bring in some more information from uh, Jessica and Rima, because Rima talks about the power of building relationships with her staff. And then Jessica builds that relationship right back with Rima. And it's really powerful about how she talked about it, about what her relationship to art was as the leader of a school. I think building relationships with my staff and I think, I know Jessica just felt comfortable. We met, I, this is my first year at Westside. So she and I met in the summer and she asked to meet with me and we met and I think she just got a good feeling about me. And I certainly got a great vibe about Jessica and her vision. I loved her vision. And so I think you just have to be approachable and open and don't say no right away. I think you say, gosh, that's a great idea. Let's explore that some more. And then in the background, I'm thinking, okay, funding, what are we going to need? What do we need to shift? Because this is going to just be an incredible experience for the students. Always you're thinking, right, what's best for the students? And that's your focus. I really think Jessica's a visionary. And she, when we met in July, and that's when I started last year, um, she just said, Rim, I really want to integrate art more into the curriculum. And I said, that's exactly how it should be. Rima is an incredibly warm, welcoming person. I saw right off the bat that she was just open to new ideas, didn't have a, a, a really stringent, rigid uh, uh, definition of what her role was and, and what education should be and not be. And I, I really, I saw the artist within her. Actually, my first question to her was, what's your relationship to art? Mm-hmm. And, and she was honest. She's, she said, I've been practicing painting and drawing and I can do it. And the first, and we met first in Zoom and she hung her painting on the wall. That in sure, her, but I, she, I didn't love yeah. it. And so she said, no, put it on the wall. I, I saw that and I said, that was an incredibly brave thing to do for anybody to do, to hang something that you did on, on a wall in your space. She's a leader and by communication and feedback, and I, I felt completely safe proposing this idea. And this is one of the really fascinating aspects of communication is that you have to be one-on-one and individualized, and you also have to be communicating at scale. And both of those things need to be happening simultaneously, which can be exceptionally difficult. But if you don't, if you neglect one of those areas, if you are only blasting out generally to to the masses, then people feel like they can't ever be heard. If you don't ever do that, people feel like you're not communicating. So you have to be able to do both of those things. And that's where it's really important to have that vision and talk about that. And when, like, if you go into a new school that you are the principal, just got appointed the principal of, you've got to ask people, what makes this school special? What makes this school unique? And find out what people value. So when I became the principal of a middle school in Fairbanks, Alaska, they had this huge wrestling tournament that was all the rage. And it was a complete and total waste of time, money, energy, and everything, but it was what defined that school. So to take that away or to not give it the credence that it was due was 
a, a huge mistake. And I did not see the value in it until I actually experienced uh-huh. it. And once I experienced it, then I said, oh, that's why this matters. That's why this waste of time, energy, and money is not actually a waste. And I was able to reassess my own approach to it and say, we should make this even bigger. Why aren't we doing more to make this a bigger deal? And and that's one of those things that sometimes you can't see it until you experience it because the way everybody talked about it was this is what makes our school special is this wrestling tournament. And I thought, boy, there's a lot of other things going on here. I don't think a wrestling tournament is really going to is really going to do it. And then I saw it and I said, you know, this really does do that and we should really double down on this and make this about who we are. And you know, it took me because nobody could really and this is the challenging part. Nobody could really explain what it was that made it so special. And after experiencing yep. it, I think that I kind of got it that it was the thing that made us feel like a community that we were not just a community in that small school in Fairbanks, but that we were connecting people all over the state to something that was bigger than them. And that's where the value came in. Does that make sense, Tracy? Absolutely. And it's that dialogue, it's that conversation actually brings it out, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that. It's a, great, it's a great story. I love working with principals, especially new principals when they come into a school around getting people to really mix up into groups of who's been here for a long time, who's who's just walked in the door, and actually let's do a little bit of a graphic history of the place. And so there's all these conversations going on in a room all about where have we been? What is what is the big stuff that's us? What is the unique stuff? What are the what are the key events that have happened that have shaped us into who we are? And uh, I, I think that we can, if we're not careful, we can really trip up. Imagine if you had tried to stop that wrestling <laughs> yeah. Go on without understanding, you know, what what the fallout would have been of that. Yeah. Um it, and it does link to the question that I sorry. It, well, I was just gonna say it would have been completely tragic on so many levels, not to mention yeah. my own political suicide of being a leader yes. in that community, right? <laughs> but so many more things would have been destroyed besides just my own ability to lead that school. Because Rima came in to the school wanting to know what was going on, what people believed, what was valuable, she was able to make a big impact because she was open and she didn't make the mistake of shutting things down that were valuable. She went the opposite way and she empowered and allowed teachers to create something that had a huge impact. So here she and Jessica are going to talk about some of the impact that it's had on their students. I think the lower grades haven't, we throw out numbers, you know, and big numbers and we explain, oh my goodness, we had 2.7 million views on Instagram and their eyes open, but I know that they don't know what 2.7 million really is. So they get it. And the upper grades are, whoa, what? Jessica has been sharing the notes and letters and cards. And we want to thank everybody for reaching out to us and thanking the students. And so we've been reading that to the students and I, I think they're slowly starting to understand it. And also when we had TV crews on campus, I think they really got to see, wow, this is a big deal. The fourth grade teacher uh, a couple of weeks ago pulled me aside and she said, I can't even tell you what great timing this project is uh, mm-hmm. for us. She said, 
just a few weeks ago, I started a conversation with the students with before this project even started on can children make a difference? And she wow. said a good portion of the class said no, because we're just kids. Mm. And wow, what a, a powerful way to prove them wrong. When we ask them, why do you think it's making a difference? Why do you think it has such a huge impact? And they're telling us, again, out of the mouths of babes, it's that because of COVID and people have been lonely and isolated and then the Ukraine-Russia war. And so they really are grasping it at mm. their level. And it's pretty impressive. They get yeah. it. It's really a testament to a the power of children, the power of educators, to all of the responses and advice that are are sharing on the hotline. Yes, they're coming from their own life experience and their own ideas, but they're also a reflection of the incredible uh, support system they have around them, be the families, their fellow peers, and the teachers that Mm -hmm. surround them and the the leaders that are around them. This project, if this is not a call to fund the arts heavily, (laughs) know what it is. Yeah. Uh, it needs to be um, integral to to the learning um, experience. It shouldn't be its own separate subject. Of that it needs to be integrated into every object and used as a tool for learning and for life. Yeah. And well, also, children will save the universe. Yes. <laughs> yes. We truly, need them. <laughs> truly, they're the only ones who can, to be yeah. honest. Yes, absolutely. And I think it leads something to one that I know that you and I would both really strongly suggest to principals coming into a school is don't walk in with a vision pre-planned ever. Have 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 what you believe from what you know, but be open and be really clear about the fact that shaping a vision is a co-creative experience. Uh, it can't be done by one person. Yeah. So I would I have a little nuance to that. Your chapter one in that school's history is not their chapter one. So, but you are a chapter in that school's history. So I do believe you need to have your own vision of what it can be and be working towards that. And that is the responsibility of the leader to have that vision. But you can't, you can't come in and say, this is my vision. I'm not going to hear anything else. That is not going to work, but you still have to take the previous chapters before you and Add in your vision to where it aligns in there. Then you have something that's driving you. You have a place to take the school that is beyond where it has been, but is not, mm-hmm. you know, you're not changing it from a science fiction book to a historical fiction book, right? Yeah. That would be a very, very drastic change that would not work. So you have to recognize is this a science fiction school or is this a historical fiction school? And then you have to align your vision. To that and make sure that it fits in and not change it drastically from who they really are. Yeah, absolutely. Because you get you 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 cause a whole lot of cultural cracks, then don't yes. you? You know, and uh, you know, working with schools where that has happened, the 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 loss that people say we used to be this had to have su- such strong performing arts, and we were known for that. And they tell stories about that, and there's a grieving that goes on. Now there may have been a really good reason for why that had to shift. But if people aren't bought into that shift and that change, then we, we end up having to carry a whole lot of resistance with us rather than commitment, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. It's- and the other aspect of this vision and the principal coming in and having ideas is that you also have to 
bring in other people in the community to help that vision come to pass. And I really liked what Jessica had to say about that. So really encouraging teachers to tap into Mm -hmm. Uh, their local community of professionals, Mm -hmm. just as you're saying, to make projects that are really relevant to Mm -hmm. life and the outside world. Bring in professional artists to do workshops with schools. Bring in designers and computer programmers. There's only so much a a teacher can uh, be responsible for. And Mm -hmm. it's just a great way to encourage collaboration between teachers and people who literally spend their whole life uh, working in one field. It's a great way to just keep it relevant Mm -hmm. for our kids. Let's talk about empathy, Jethro. I'm, I'm really, you know, I know that empathy is a huge, uh, big part of your book. It, it sort of underpins everything, I think, is compassion and empathy and the, the, the ability to have that for the people you lead, the students and the community and for ourselves. And I love that you started with, actually, you have to have compassion for yourself simply for you, because you're a human being that absolutely deserves to have compassion and self-care, uh, not because of any other reason. That's the number one. I, I know and you know that empathy is very largely missing in many parts of the world, in many parts of schools, et cetera. So d- talk to me about your thinking on empathy. Yeah, the, the best way that I think to describe it is that we, we do a lot of stuff with data and education, and it has its place and there's meaning to it. However, what we don't think about is how the people feel when they're not successful. So for example, one of the things that we have tried to do in all the schools I've been in is have 95% of our students proficient in math and reading, for example. And so that's a goal that we have set hundreds of times, it seems, in every school district. And what we don't think about is for the kids that are five, the 5% that are not successful, they are 100% failures. And that means that, that that big data is all well and good, but the kid who's on the other end of that, they have this very different perspective. And we don't think about that. And really the thing that brought that to mind for me was having a daughter with Down syndrome, which really changed how I perceive a lot of things. My kids are all, all four of them are amazing and I love them dearly. But seeing a child that is so developmentally delayed from everybody else, it really changes how you approach everything else that you do. And so any delay that any of my other kids have, rather than being upset or hurt or feeling like I'm a failure as a parent, I just say, okay, that's what their issue is. That's fine. And the benefit to my daughter with Down syndrome is I knew what challenges she would face in her life. With my other kids, I didn't know what it was. And so It could be bipolar disorder. It could be some other mental health issue. It could be cancer. It could be any of these other things that people struggle with. And so when we don't look at the individual and what they're experiencing, then we, we think of them as a number, which is, which is just awful. And I, I had a teacher and I apologize numerous times, but she, I basically reduced her to a number as her principal. And she was very upset about that for good reason. And I, it was because I wasn't being empathetic to her story or her experience or what she'd been through. And I do feel like I missed an opportunity there with this teacher because I could have taken advantage of her knowledge and let her be more of a leader. And instead, I reduced her to a number and made her feel like she wasn't a valued part of the team. And, and that's not a good way to do it. So you've got to have empathy and 
be human first in all of your interactions and know that no matter what's going on, there's a person on the other side and they have to be understood. They have to be heard. And even if they are totally doing the wrong thing, they've got to have a reason for it. And you have to seek to understand what is leading them to this point. And that doesn't mean that you have to tolerate somebody hurting kids, for example, but there is something that happened in their life that is causing them to act this way. And you need to be open to trying to understand what that is, because one, that's the right thing to do. And two, if you ever think you're going to change or solve anything with them, you've got to understand the reason why they're doing it first. Otherwise, they'll never trust you. No. And it, and it's a relationship that becomes, it's it's a partnership relationship, isn't it, rather than an adversarial one. And I, I do think that in some schools we have cultures of adversarial where the principal is seen as the enemy uh, or the teachers are seen as the enemy and, yeah. and we, we just have this, we're not going to, we're not going to come together whatsoever yeah. Yeah. around that. Uh, I loved that story that you um, shared in the book about that teacher and I think she might have written a letter where she put the number yeah, on the letter she when she left and yep. uh, and I, I read that and I went wow that is so powerful a learning it's it that must have been a watershed moment for you and um, and and I thank you for sharing so many of those watershed moments with us in the book because I think you showed this great vulnerability in sharing your learning journey through the book as well as what you've learned from the, the podcast guests, but also your own thinking around it. And I think we it's really useful for us to reflect like you have on what are the things that have made us who we are as leaders now. And uh, that letter must, you, I bet you can probably still see that letter. I can. Uh, that she wrote with that <laughs> yes. number written in your mind. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it's embarrassing to admit some of that stuff, right? Because yeah. we we want to be these infallible, perfect leaders. And the reality is, is that none of us are. Even those we esteem to be perfect leaders still make mistakes and aren't perfect. And for the book launch in the middle of March, what I did is I, I had people write a, another book together with me. And one of the questions that I had was, if you are not performing well in your role, what would you want your supervisor to say to support you? And almost Ooh, every yeah, almost every single answer to that question had something to do with empathy. And yes. this is so powerful because everybody wants it and everybody forgets to give it when it's really yes. needed. It's so yes. easy to forget because you're thinking about your own issues, your own problems, and it's so easy to th- to forget that this other person needs empathy and yet they do every step of the way. And it is, it, it's really powerful reading all of those. And it it's just, it's very cool because <laughs> everybody went yeah. to empathy. I love it. And, and I, for me, it raises something around vulnerability as a leader mm-hmm. that I think in some of, in some of our minds, if I am going to show empathy or compassion to you, I am actually making myself vulnerable. What if that gets refuted? What if that gets pushed back? Yeah. And so, you know, when we create psychological safety, it is about rewarding that vulnerability but being vulnerable ourselves. So I think it's something interesting to play around with around do I actually see empathetic acts make me vulnerable and am I okay with that? You know, I love Brene's, uh, Brene Brown's approach on vulnerability that when I see it in others, I see it as courageous. When I see it in myself, I see it as weakness. 
So it, it might be useful just for anyone listening, just think about do I see empathetic acts as compassionate acts that uh, are courageous or ones that are vulnerable and make me weak in a bad way? How do I flip that thinking? Yeah. yeah. And flipping that thinking is so, so vital because the things that we think make us strong often make us more weak. So I had this great opportunity to interview for a principal position and not get it. And the superintendent called me afterward and he didn't have to do this, but he did anyway. And and he said, you came across as a know-it-all and that you had all the answers. And I said, yeah. isn't that what you want is a principal who knows what he's doing? Isn't that a good thing? And he said, well, that's the challenging part. If you come across as a know-it-all, then people think they can't give their advice and input and their ideas and they get shut down. So you have to have this, this mix of humility and confidence that is the right balance to say, you know, here's my idea and I believe it enough. And another phrase for that is strong opinions loosely held. And then the one I like the best of that is a righteous self-esteem, which means that I have... I, I'm sure of who I am, and I'm not bothered by people poking at what I'm doing, but I'm also humble enough to say, you might have the right answer and I might not, and that's okay. That doesn't affect me as a person, and it's easy to be in that know-it-all, arrogant type of place, especially as educators when we've done so much work to be there. We've gotten yeah. master's and doctorate degrees and worked hard to be at that level, and it's it's easy to know, quote unquote, the right answer, but every situation, going back to individuals, every situation is unique to the people that are involved in that situation. Even if we've seen it a hundred times before, the, because the people are different, the situation is different. So we have to have that empathy and we have to approach it appropriately. Yeah, I love it. And for me, you've just really echoed so much of what I believe around ferocious warmth, which is if we yeah. are just, I am right all the time. We, and we don't bring that empathy in. What we're doing is we're inflicting a whole lot of trauma on people, really, because we're shutting them down. We're not getting them to to have that that space. So, so I love that that humility and confidence. Uh, one of my colleagues, Keegan Loiters, he talks about humble swagger, uh, and I just yeah. love those two. I love incongruent words together. You know, ferocious warmth, ignorant truth. You know, um, humble swagger is a really nice one to go. Have the confidence, but be open. To influence, you know. So I love that. That's a part of your journey around that. And again, you've you you show great vulnerability and willingness to share that with us as readers in your book, that story. So thank you. So Jethro, I've absolutely loved having a conversation with you around how to be a transformative principal. Your new book, and uh, I think it's a great book full of so many gems for people to read, to consider and reflect. I love the way that you've given us uh, the uh, references, uh, the key summaries uh, as well in the chapters. It's a really great book to be able to dive in and dive out of. Some really good stuff around hiring great staff, so much good good resource for school principals to be able to look at and really learn from. So thank you. And thank you for letting me have a chat to you today. About yeah, it. this has been great. Thank you for offering and wanting to talk about it. That's always exciting. And if you are listening and you think, man, that sounds like a good book, jethrojones.com slash how to be, how the number two and be, and that's where you can get it. And if you order from me, then I send you some little goodies along with it. Um, or, mm-hmm. you, 
or you can order it on Amazon. That's fine too. But I just, <laughs> I want you to read it and use it to help you become a transformative principal because I believe that's what we all can be.